Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. So good to see you this morning. Hope you are getting ready for a wonderful Christmas celebration. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles this morning and open with me to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke will be in chapter 1, where we've been the last several weeks. And let me just say, while things will be a little different in our service this morning, they, they have been, they are, please, I want you to know where I'm at. I'm loving all the Christmas noises in the service. So don't get, moms, dads, don't get nervous about that. I'm not nervous. I have a microphone. If we lose because we have the microphone and we still can't overcome the sounds, that's on us, not on them. Let them be kids. Let them be kids. Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 76 through 79 that have framed our series to date. And then we'll come back and look at the verse for our time together today. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. May God bless the reading the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. Zechariah is reveling in the coming birth of his son, and that we can understand. But here in verse 76, he's rejoicing in the revealed purpose for his son's life to serve as a prophet of God. An angel announced earlier in chapter one uh, to them that his son would be born and would be and serve this very purpose. But John's role was prophesied long before that, centuries before as a matter of fact in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse three. You see, Zechariah's focus is the relationship of John to the one who is coming. And this is very important in Christian history because the one who would come would be God, the Son. But as prophecy had told us, the Messiah would not come until one came to prepare the way. And so this prophecy of John the Baptist had to be fulfilled before the prophecy of the Messiah could come to fulfillment. And that's what Zechariah is reveling in. He knew his son will be the fulfillment of divine prophecy and his whole life would serve as a prophet of God and usher in his Messiah. Zechariah revels rather in his son's birth and the prophetic role to glorify the one who is, he says, look at verse 76 again, you will be called the prophet of the most high. The most high. Hi, that title is used nine times in the New Testament. Excuse me, it's used 13 times. Nine of those times are the proper noun that we see here for most high. It's always a reference to God. Earlier in the narrative, this reference could only be understood exclusively as referring to God the Father. But here in the text, 
a very amazing shift occurs. And I want us to see this today because this is the shift that centers all of our Christmas celebration. Here it is that the one who is coming is God. He's not only a prophet of the most high, but the one who is coming is the most high. God himself, the most high, whom John's ministry would serve is in fact the one who is coming. You see friends, this issue strikes at the heart of true Christmas celebration for every Christian, every follower of Jesus Christ. And it causes me to pause for just a moment and ask the question, did those who anticipated the promised Messiah believe that he would actually be God himself? Think about historically where we sit here because for the previous 400 years in the scriptures, there had been no voice, no prophet speaking for God. That's a dramatic pause of all dramatic pauses right there. 400 years. And then the angel appears and said, your son will be the prophet that prepares the way for the most high to come. This is an announcement like none other. They knew that this most high or that this Messiah would come for God. They knew he would serve the purpose of God, but did they know he would be God? The most high himself was coming. Another way to ask this question that is important for us as Christians is to ask who was Jesus before he came to earth to become a man? Who was Jesus? What is his very nature and his very being? When we search the scriptures, prophecies tell us that that the Messiah would be God himself. Doesn't tell us that they knew or even believed he was God, but that he was God. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, maybe one of the most famous prophecies of Jesus' birth, tell us that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Right there, one of the very names for the one who would come would be Almighty God. Psalm chapter 2, the great psalm of the eternal king, verses 7 through 12, tell us that the Messiah would be the Son of God. There are many other prophecies that we could point to at this time that basically tell us the same thing. The Messiah who would come would be God. So while we know that the prophecy stated, the question is, did they understand that the one who would come actually be God? I think that's a good question to center our celebration as well. We celebrate Jesus, we celebrate what he has done for us to get us to God, but do we give to him the worth that he alone is worthy of and do? He is God who has come. Even today when an important person visits, a, often a representative or an ambassador will come in their place. And we don't ask questions about this. We know you're busy. If you could just send someone that would represent you, that would be sufficient. But friends, I pose this question because it's essential to understand Jesus' true nature. We celebrate that he came, hence the title of the series, but who is this one who came? We began by looking really at this passage in reverse in verse 79, he came, so we go. 
We looked at the missionary impulse of the gospel that sends us to the nations, every tribe, nation, and tongue that will gather around the throne of God in heaven defines our missionary impulse to go so that they may hear and know. We looked at because he came, we live. We have eternal life. Not not just life here and now, but life in eternity. Because he came, we love We love in the way that we've been loved because we are the beloved. And today, he came. So worship God because God is the one who came. The one who is worthy of all of our worship. He is the one who came. Friends, I want you to understand this today. Jesus is the eternal son worthy of all worship who came to reveal God's glory in salvation. Hear me, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. This may be very familiar to some of you, but I tell you, it's not familiar to all. As a matter of fact, it's still contentious and highly debated. Jesus's deity has been debated throughout the ages. As a matter of fact, one scholar says this is the pinnacle of controversy that defines Christianity And many still do not believe. Let me just historically give you some context here. First of all, when Jesus came in the first century, his own people did not receive him. The Jews did not believe that he was God. He came unto his own and his own did not what? Did not receive him. Not only that, but the Muslims who worship Allah and uh, under Islam, they, they do not believe that Jesus was God. Now, they, they tell you that they believe he was a great prophet. And that, in fact, is what they believe, that he was a great prophet, but he was no more than that. And listen to me, friends. All the accolades in the world that don't measure up to the true nature of who he was are still worthless. Are still worthless. He was a model prophet, they say, but he was not God. Striking a little closer to home, Those who hold to the Mormon doctrine, who themselves claim to be Christians, state this, that they believe Jesus was God. But when you read the fine print, here's what their doctrine teaches. His nature was an inherited nature, not inherent to his being. That is very different, friends. That is not the same Jesus that we worship. And that's critical for us to understand because if his nature was inherited, then that makes him not equal with the Father, makes him less than, therefore others can rise to the level that he was. Hence the whole doctrine of Mormonism and why others are equal to Jesus in his words. Who is this man that came? That's the question. I'll give you one testimony about Jesus that I think is far too under-considered but is compelling across the ages. Every time the demons meet Jesus in the scriptures, they are the first to testify, that's God right there. That's God. We're done. We're out. You see, the nature of Jesus is not a new debate. It was debated very early in Christian history and actually a a, a stake was placed in the ground to determine historical orthodoxy, Christianity through the ages. In the fourth century, 325 AD, 
They convened the Council of Nicaea over this very debate which raged over the relationship of God the Son to God the Father. It was known as the Arian Controversy. And against the Arian teaching that the Son was eternally subordinate to God the Father, the creed used this word, homoousios, which basically means of one substance with, to describe the relationship. And out of that council, we have what has been known as the Nicene Creed. Listen to the second stanza, which focuses on God the Son. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father. That's critical for us. It goes on, light of very light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, both in heaven and on earth who for us men and for our salvation came down and was incarnate and was made man. Friends, here's what I want you to understand, that the historical teaching of the early church and of the early church fathers upon whose shoulders we stand today clarifies that the one who came was the most high. Jesus is God. Co-equal with the Father and the Spirit. Why is this important? Well, let me try to make it practical for you. We preach the gospel so often today, and in the preaching of the gospel, one will say that Jesus uh, was God, and he's worthy of our worship. And this is true, friends. And another will say, Jesus was man. He understands who we are. But friends, if Jesus were only God and not man, he could come to help us, but he could not understand us. But if Jesus were only man and not fully God, then he could come to understand us, but not help us. But because he is the God-man, he came fully understanding us, Hebrews tells us, who suffered in every way as we have yet was without sin. And because he is God, he can help. And he has. He humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross, it says. Friends, Jesus is the eternal son worthy of all worship who came to reveal God's glory in salvation. He is worthy of all of our worship because he is the center of the Godhead. He is the one through whom the Father's word comes to us to reveal the Father to us. His radiance of God is given in perfect form in Jesus Christ. He is, the word says, the exact imprint that is manifested to the world in him. And through him, all creation came into being and is upheld. And now, as he sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven, he rules and reigns supreme. Philippians chapter 2, one of Paul's hymns of Jesus in his glorification and his humiliation tells us that who, though in the form of God. That word for form is not a word that simply means like, but rather it doesn't mean he only represented God, but that he himself was God. Jesus then, who is God, is the one who came. 
I want to offer you three hymns that declare Jesus' worthiness today from the scriptures. And I hope and pray this encourages you. I hope and pray it strengthens you. It may even enlighten you to some aspects of the nature of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that you have never thought or known before. But first of all, I turn to the Gospel of John and I read the first five verses for us when John writes these words. And just remember the one human author who is writing here is that young teenage boy, the youngest of all the disciples, who followed Jesus, and he was the disciple Jesus loved. He had a special relationship with our Lord and Savior. And as an aged man, he records these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then skipping over to verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John provides a very clear understanding of Jesus' nature and role as God. He is the eternal Logos, the Word, who was with and who was God. He makes very clear he is eternally God. He did not inherit any of his nature, but his deity is that he is eternally inherent as his being. Very God of very God, the creed states. Begotten, meaning he was not created. He is begotten of the Father because he is of one substance with the Father. This means Jesus is not some smaller part nor some lesser whole, but he is wholly worthy as God, the most high. He created and he sustains all that is. He's the source of our life. He's the source of all things. And he is the one that holds it all together. There's nothing that shadows, dims, nor darkens, nor overcomes him when he shines. He is the one that took on flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, friends, is worthy of all worship because as the eternal God, he is the only source he is the light, he is the life of all creation. The second hymn I offer to you today is found in the Apostle Paul's writing in the letter to the Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one, verse 15, Paul records, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. There is peace 
with God because God has come and laid down his life to bring it. This hymn is one of highest exaltation and praise and worship of Jesus in all of the scripture. Everything that is known of God is perfectly imaged in Jesus Christ, the Son, the highest of all creation, the perfect form of all things. Not only of all matter, not not only of all matter, but listen to me, friends, of all rule, power, principle, and authority, he records. He is the perfect manifestation of all of those things, and he is the one that holds all things together. Friends, Jesus is worthy of all your worship because he is the source and the sustainer of all things. All things have their being and all things remain only in him. The third hymn that I offer you this morning is found in the first chapter of Hebrews. The first four verses, the writer of Hebrew records, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now listen to this. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Friends, Hebrews exalts Jesus as worthy by centering all things on him. He is the one who has come to become like us, who understands us, and who alone can help us. He is like God because he says he is God. Therefore, Jesus is worthy of all of your worship because he is the perfect representation of God as God himself. Why does this matter? Well, let me tell you why it matters, and I'll draw this to a close. Friends, Christmas is the celebration that makes Satan and all of hell shudder. You go, Pastor, isn't that what Easter does? Oh, it does plenty of it as well. But God comes into the prince of darkness's domain, unencumbered and unhindered, a helpless babe, and Satan couldn't touch him. Couldn't touch him. He brings perfect light and life. In the midst of the enemy's lies, in the midst of the enemy's accusations, in the midst of the enemy's deception and chaos, God speaks truth, he brings goodness, he brings righteousness and peace. It is unwelcomed by Satan, but it is, he is powerless to deter him. Not only does Christmas become the celebration that makes Satan and all of hell shudder, But Christmas is the celebration that shakes the very foundation of the world. Imagine this. The creator enters into to become his creation. The firstborn of creation, the word tells us. And amidst all of the wrongs, 
amidst all of the atrocities, amidst all of the brokenness, the darkness, and the confusion of this world that sin produces. The one who is perfect peace, who is perfect joy, who is perfect love comes to give light, to give life, to be our hope in the midst of that. Every twinkle of light against the backdrop of night's dark reminds us of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. He is the eternal son worthy of all worship who came to reveal God's glory in salvation. Now let me close in this way. I go back to Philippians chapter six who said for us that who, though he was in form of God, listen to what it follows, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What in the world is he saying? Paul basically says this, Jesus knew he was God, but he didn't allow his complete deity to become an excuse to get out of becoming a perfect savior for us. Isn't that beautiful? When you worship the one who is God, the most high, remember this, he didn't look at us and say of us, they're not worth me giving up who I am here. And so I close in this way today. Will you look upon him and will you confess that in fact he is who he is, worthy of all honor, of all glory, and all worship of your life? The one who looked upon you in perfect love is worthy for you to look upon him in all faith.